Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on cage.press.com. I'm Danny Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is off this weekend, but that doesn't mean we don't have some great content for you guys this week. Kicking off the show, we are going to talk to Vanessa Demopoulos, who is fighting next weekend at UFC Vegas 80. Then we're going to take a little break from the interviews, and we're going to kick it back to one of our favorite segments, the Combat Countdown, where we will count down our five favorite graduates off of this season of Contender Series. And then speaking of Contender Series, we're going to kick it to an interview last with Cortavius Romeus, who is going to be fighting on Week 10 of Contender Series. But before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, hey, well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak-bagging badasses, tough mutter mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high-handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever you should buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Vanessa Demopoulos, who fights Kanako Murata at UFC Vegas 80. That fight is on October 7th. So, Vanessa, obviously, before we get into the fight that you got coming up, I did want to ask you about the last fight. You know, you're on a three-fight winning streak. You're seemingly tearing through the division. You run into kind of a slight bump in the road with Karolina Kovalkiewicz. I'm curious on what the thought process was going back to the gym. Did you feel like, you know, major changes were needed? Was it just, you know, lack of execution on the night? What was sort of the thought process going back? Well, um, Carolina is, I, I got her best version and she got my worst. So looking at that fight, I, I did have some things, of course, that I needed to execute that I did not. Um, things that we worked on during camp that just really weren't, um, adding up into the cage, but more than anything, I, um, you know, I really didn't have the best camp and it, it was very rough for me. So uh, I made a lot of changes. I moved to Las Vegas and I'm now doing everything out here. I'm feeling a lot of success and um, I'm feeling really good emotionally and very ready to step back into the octagon again. Well, and if you don't mind me asking, you know, you, you said it wasn't a great camp. Was some of that the the personal stuff, the stuff in the gym, or was some of that also, you know, physical stuff? Did you have ailments that were kind of holding you back? I had some physical things, and then it was more emotional, I would say, than the gym. Um, I was training out of Factory X at that time with Mark Montoya, and uh, I still have a good relationship with Mark Montoya. 
He's great. Um, the fact the guys over at Factory X, uh, you know, a lot of them are ranked fighters right now. Currently, you got Brandon Roy Vall getting ready to fight for a title, a title shot, and he's been out of Factory X since he was like 16 years old. So um, I just I was going through a lot of things myself, and uh, I had just moved to Denver. I didn't really um, get myself acclimated to being there, there was a lot of things that I was going through stepping into the octagon against Carolina that were um, hindering me. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you said you decided to move to Vegas. So what does the training camp look like now that you've changed cities again here? I am now training out of here. So I've really put together my own camp, um, primarily out of the Performance Institute. And I am going over to Extreme. I'm uh, training with uh, Dennis Davis as my head coach right now. Um, I also have Mateo Nicolau, who came from um, Brazil. He actually was Jose Aldo's striking um, coordinator for quite a while. And uh, I have Chase Pammy, who is world-renowned in wrestling. Um, it's just been an amazing camp, you know, out here. I have my training partners that I train with. I have my schedule down tight. And Vegas has always kind of been a home to me. I used to work out here when I was an entertainer, and then now being out here all the time as a broadcaster for the UFC, I work for UFC Fight Pass, and I've been out here so consistently. This is the first time where I've moved across the country somewhere, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is home. I'm absolutely where I need to be. That's awesome. And I was going to ask you about the broadcast stuff, but before I do, I got to ask you what went into this idea to sort of create your own camp, because I've heard from other fighters, you know, Lauren Murphy did this and made a run to the title. I talked to Dean Thomas a long time ago, and he said this was the future of MMA fight camps. He says that this is what everybody's going to be doing. So what what sort of made you decide, you know, I, I'm going to kind of pick and choose, do this a la carte? I have done this actually before. This was similar to what I dealt with when I was in California. So when I lived in L.A., I had Jiva Santana, who is still, he's going to be in my corner for this camp. He's still my jiu-jitsu coach. Um, he gave me my black belt. And uh, so I was under him. I was under um, Saxon Muay Thai in L.A. I was under Black House MMA. And I really allocated my camp out there. So this isn't something foreign to me. And I know that it's not for a lot of fighters. Some fighters want to go somewhere. They want to have everything in one place. Um, and I feel like I do have that at the Performance Institute. Everything is in one place. And my coaches come to me for the most part. Um, and then I do go to Extreme, which is literally five minutes up the road. And this has just worked out great for me. I get to pick the people I want to work with, and I jive with the best. And it's just really awesome. Well, that's awesome. And and now you're seemingly anticipating every single question I had prepared for this interview. I'm just letting you know that ahead of time because I got here. I got here a question about the arm collector, uh, about Eva Santana and about you training with him, because I only recently found out that that was like your early jujitsu coach, right? Like that's the person who gave you all the way back to your purple belt, right? Um, and, and I recently yeah, I've been, I've been with Jiva since I was a purple belt, but I used to come primarily from GF team, which is a very traditional gi jiu-jitsu. They're one of the best jiu-jitsu teams in the world. And um, I'm still really close with them. But then I moved to California and I spent a lot of time under Jiva Santana, who was helping me with my MMA jiu-jitsu. Um, and then obviously living in California just made a lot of sense for me to change over and uh, represent one jiu-jitsu and represent the arm collector himself. 
Yeah, and so who I, then inevitably gave me my black belt. Yeah, that that's awesome. And so I I grew up watching MMA and watching him in the cage. I, I went to a Bell one of my first oh my fights gosh, that I yes. went to. Her, I went to see him fight in Bellator way back in the day. So like, wow, I, you know your your style seemingly has a lot of his pieces to it, right? Like your arm bar is not, you know, on point in your positioning with your hips and the recent submissions you've gotten in the UFC. Do you feel like, like that's sort of a style that you've continued to carry on through your career? Oh my gosh, a million percent. Yes. I have spent so much time with Jiva. And even still, as soon as I get done fighting, I always like, as soon as I step out of the octagon, I always go back to California. I spend a few weeks there. I get in the gi. You know, I train under Jiva. Um, even like that armbar that I pulled off against Silvana, that was one of Jiva's signature armbars that he had showed me. So, yes, yeah, 100%. He still actually coaches me from a distance. So we were talking today, and he's like, hey, I'm going to send you some videos of some things I want you to make sure that you're focusing on. And then I get a partner, I drill them, and I send him videos back and showing him what I'm doing, and then he corrects things. Like, he's still literally coaching me just from a distance. It's awesome. I love that. I love that. Now, I did want to go back to what you said, too, about broadcasting, because that's another question you anticipated in mind. You know, you, <laughs> it seems like it's the thing that a lot of UFC fighters want to do, and yet not a ton of them are able to do it, right? Like, the, you know, a couple of them get the desk, a couple of them get these, you know, Fight Pass invitationals, these jiu-jitsu tournaments that are, you know, broadcast on Fight Pass. How, how did you wind up sort of, you know, closing the deal and being able to be one of these very select few fighters who, who are getting to broadcast these things? Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Um, I have really studied acting, modeling, broadcasting, being in front of a camera, public speaking for a long time now. Um, you, you know, way before I cared that much about fighting, I was doing acting. So, like, for me to be in front of a, a camera, in front of a microphone, it's never going to be super, super natural, but it's a lot more natural to me because I practiced it. And um, I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity. Eddie Bravo actually gave me a chance, and Victor Davila, to commentate for them at um, Combat Jiu-Jitsu and their EBIs. Uh, for the Medusas, for the female portion, and then they enjoyed my commentating and continued to invite me back, and now I've kind of really become a big part of that um, organization with them, and TJ DeSantis was the one who really opened up the door for me over with Fight Pass, um, you know, him doing the extra rounds, he was like, hey, we have an available position, if you're interested, um, you know, we work well together. Let's try this out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So that opened up that door and it's just been continuing to flourish ever since. And I couldn't be more grateful. Um, I've gotten to dip my toes into color commentating, reporting, um, commentating MMA and uh, being a part of the fight path invitational for jujitsu. It's just really been a dream come true. Well, that's great to hear. And you're, despite the fact you say you're not comfortable in front of the mic, you certainly seem comfortable in front of the mic. I'll give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, so let's talk about this fight. Obviously, that's what people are the most excited for now. And that's Kanako Murata. And she's one of those fighters who we don't have to sit here and guess what her game plan is, right? We can just look down on paper. Kanako Murata wants to wrestle you. Kanako Murata wants to be on the ground with you. That's what she does with every fighter she's fought. But being so sharp on the ground, you know, being a Jiva Santana black belt on the ground, is, is this a fight that excites you that you think finally you've got somebody who who does want to tangle with you where you're the most comfortable? 
It does, and I'm also confused because I would not, um, I would not anticipate her wanting to be on the ground with me. So I think I spend a lot of time focusing on. There's no way people want to be on the floor with me. Like I need to work the stand up. I need to work the stand up. But she uh, is so comfortable with her wrestling, and she is, you know, uh, she was, I believe, on the Olympic team for Japan for wrestling. Um, and so, it's, you know, that's her wheelhouse. The same way that jiu-jitsu for me is a wheelhouse, I believe she's probably going to feel comfortable in her positioning and wanting to hit the scorecards and win on points. So, um, yeah, that's what that's what I'm anticipating for this fight from her. But, I mean, she is 12-2. and two. Um, she has got black belts in the past and had success. So, um, I mean, she won the Invicta title, you know, with this very game plan that has gotten her this far into the UFC. And I wouldn't anticipate a change at this point. You're yeah. right. And, and, and so, you, you know, you kind of laid it out there. It's a styles matchup, but not in the way that we usually think of, right? Like st- striker versus grappler. We're thinking jujitsu versus wrestler. Do you feel like you're sort of you know, waving the jujitsu flag for the community, you're defending jujitsu's honor. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I am jujitsu. Like, this is <laughs> what I do. This is what I represent. Like, I not only have I been world class and competing all around the world in it and meddling in just about every single tournament I've ever stepped foot into, but now I'm a commentator for jiu-jitsu. So I didn't really think about it like that, but you're super right. <laughs> you're super correct on that. Yes, I am waving the jiu-jitsu flag. Let's go. Let's see what this is. All right. So then, <laughs> so then I always end these things with the big question, obviously. Give me the prediction. How's this one gone down October 7th when you wave that jujitsu flag for us? Yes, I mean, we know what's coming. So, Jiva uh, Santana is going to be in my corner. Look forward to uh, win by armbar. And <laughs> I got the arm collector representing out there. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm taking whatever comes at me. But, like, that's definitely a good prediction, I think. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Vanessa Demopoulos, who fights Kanako Murata at UFC Vegas 80. Once again, that fight, October 7th. Vanessa, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you have the best evening ever. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Vanessa Demopoulos. I once again am Dan. You're going to be freeland. Joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, not a lot to talk about with this uh, past weekend's main event. It ends early with a gross and disgusting knee injury. So we're going to look ahead to the schedule. No UFC this weekend, but a whole bunch of title fights recently announced. We, of course, got Islam Makashev versus Charles Oliveira coming in October. Then John Jones, Stipe Miocic coming the month after that in November. Now joined on that card by Yuri Prohashka versus Alex Pajeda. And with the December pay-per-view, UFC 296 getting announced, we now have two title fights on that one as well. Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington, the long-awaited welterweight fight, and a flyweight fight between Alessandre Pantoja and Brandon Roy Vall. The Rog Dog's getting a shot. So I guess my question for you is, of this slew of title fights coming up before the end of the calendar year, which are you the most excited for? So the most excited would be Yuri versus Alex Pajeda. I think matchup-wise, that's very interesting. I think there's an awesome sort of uh, Hollywood-esque quality to the fact that Pajeda trains with Glover Teixeira. Yuri beat Glover Teixeira, so there's sort of that vindication aspect to it. 
And I just want to see that title, um, you know, kind of settle down. It's been a hot potato since Yuri got injured. That was always very weird to me. Then you have the weird uh, title fight with Glover in his last fight. And everything's just crazy there. I am very happy that that fight is happening. So that's my top. At my bottom, I don't care so much to see John Jones absolutely murk Stipe Miocic, who seemingly has two feet out the door already. Um, so that's probably my least favorite. And I'll just give you my medium favorite, which is I think Makachev beats uh, Charlie Olives again. It's something we've already seen, but it is Charlie Olives. I will give him the benefit of the doubt. He could come back at it with a new game plan. He's very versatile. I'm interested at least just to see how he approaches the fight differently than the first one. How about you? Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. And if I'm going to round out your top five here, I'll put Roy Vol versus Pantoja as my second most excited one. And, you know, I could care less about Colby versus Leon Edwards. But to bring you back to the point on, on Stipe John Jones being like kind of not fun, uh, not just because Stipe is two feet out the door. That's obviously a huge piece of why that fight sucks. But I will also say that fight's not fun for me because heavyweight for the first time in what seems like forever has a load of fun challengers. You know, we've got Tom Aspinall who came back from his knee injury looking like a man possessed. You have, you know, Sergei Pavlovich who looked absolutely incredible in his last fight and is now weighing in for the second time as a replacement fighter for a title fight. You also got Jelton Almeida, who's about to fight Curtis Blades down in Brazil. If he wins that fight, I mean, we should definitely be talking about him for a title shot. So you got all these like fun, youngish contenders, and we're just going to run it and let Stipe go one more time when seemingly like, I don't know if either of these fighters wins, they defend the title. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of a bummer for me. But that being said, I agree with your number one pick. I think that's the most intriguing fight. It's wild. It's weird. Uh, and I love that they're bringing stability back to light heavyweight. Boom. I love it too. I also love that we get to break out a combat countdown this week because there are no fights this weekend. So let's do a combat countdown for the first time in a long time. We'll do the top five graduates off this season's contender series. So this is something you're going to want to pay attention to. Figure out who you want to buy stock in. And we'll, of course, track their careers and come back to this list down the road. But Gumby, before we get into this Combat Countdown, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Combat Countdown. Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by X Marshall. If you want to pick up some of the best gear in martial arts, you got to check out X Marshall. From rash guards to short streetwear training equipment, they've got you covered. X Marshall is one of the fastest growing brands out there. And for a reason, the quality of their products is second to none. They're taking style to the next level. And they really do have a design for every taste and personality. So go check them out at xmarshall.com and use discount code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off everything in the store. All right. We will go through this uh, and we'll start at number five, counting down to the top uh, graduate of this season's Contender Series. So let's start at five at the back end of the list. It's Kevin Borjas, a 125-pounder. Yeah, so I think a lot of people, and he was off the very first episode, a lot of people would probably have somebody who went in there and knocked somebody out super quick or, you know, grabbed a quick submission here at, on their list. But I really think that the three rounds of action we saw out of Kevin Borges showed us far more than you see out of anybody who gets a quick finish. He went in there with a guy who was a three to one favorite over him. And not only did he beat him, he absolutely put it on him with his striking. And to see a guy that's this sharp, 
in this young with his striking and also seemingly has quite a bit of takedown defense. I think he gives problems to a lot of guys at 125 pounds, also being young and having room to grow uh, and knowing that his cardio is there. So, yeah, I'm really huge on Kevin Borges. And I know he's got a fight book right around the corner, too, which is very exciting. I like it. Uh, we'll move up or actually we'll move down to 115 pounds. Uh, number four is Eduardo Moura. Yeah, I love Eduardo Mora. I know people are probably thinking that this might even be too low on the list for her because, you know, she went in there and she decimated her opponent. You know, obviously she's a training partner of the aforementioned Jelton Almeida. So people are really big on her potential. I've seen some of the things of her on the regional scene where I'm not 100% convinced she's as dominant as people were making her out to be following that fight. But I do think what she did in there was really impressive. You know, you don't see a lot of people who've got that style at 115 pounds where they're both, you know, really good with takedowns and really good in top control and really good, you know, jujitsu wise. That That's a style that, you know, it isn't there at women's strawway outside of, you know, like the Tatiana Suarez, so to speak, of the division. So, uh, you know, she certainly poses a difficult style matchup, but I still think we've got a couple more that I find uh, a little bit more promising. Let's move up in poundage uh, to a very uh, robust and division filled with depth, always and forever. That's 155 pounds. And we're naming our number three graduate coming off of this season's contender series as Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi. Yeah, so Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi, I, I just have to say, you know, like just like Kevin Borges and as much as I liked Kevin Borges, Sawadi is a guy who, first of all, went in there against the guy who was like a four to one or a five to one favorite over him. And he went in there and beat the hell out of him. He fought George Hardwick, a guy everybody was talking about being maybe the best prospect off the series. And not only did he beat him, he took it to him. He beat him three rounds to none. So you really got to appreciate that about Selwani. And then in addition to that, the fact that he's just so well-traveled, you know, fighting over in Brave, fighting guys who've been in the UFC, fighting, you know, who's who of regional level guys. Like, I really do think he's so well-traveled already that he's going to be able to be competitive at 155 right away. All right. We're getting close to the top here. And number two, it's Gene Matsumoto, 135-pounder. Yeah, so Matsumoto, I think, surprised a lot of people because he went in there. Uh, granted, he was actually a favorite in his fight. And he fought Casey Tanner, a guy who wrestles alongside of uh, Henry Cejudo down at Fight Ready. And not only did he beat him with the hands, which I kind of thought he could do, but he absolutely looked like the better wrestler in there as well. He's a guy training out of Brazil who looks like he's got the complete package when it comes to what he can do. He's 14-0 and 0 at Bantamweight, having fought some pretty damn good guys in LFA. And just to see him put together such a complete performance, I mean, there's a reason, uh, you know, Dana White was gushing about him as he was potentially a future title challenger at you know, only 24 years old already. Uh, I, I get why he's big on Jan Matsumoto. All right. Well, I'll tell you who we're big on, and it's our number one graduate. Top of the list. Number one graduate off the season's contender series. It's Carlos Preches, 170-pounder. Yeah, Carlos Preches, I, I think, you know, like, first of all, you know, I said some of these guys I like because they went 15 hard minutes. Prochus I like because of how good and how quickly he ended this fight. Now, granted, it was in the second round, but he went in there with a guy who is as tough as nails and he broke his face in the first round and then put him out with one of the meanest left hands I've seen in a while there. 
And he's fought some crazy good guys on the regional scene beforehand too. The power is there. The fact that he's a, you know, a six one with incredible reach. His reach is like, I think I saw somewhere his reach is an extra six inches on top of his height. He's got gangly long arms and he absolutely picks people apart from distance. Six one welterweight with knockout power like that. I think he is going to be turning some heads really soon. Well, we hope we turn some heads here with this combat countdown. Let us know if we did this list right or maybe messed it up. We welcome your love and hate feedback uh, to the combat countdown. You could reach us at Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with somebody who's going to be on Contender Series later in the year. We're going to talk with Cortavius Romius, who is getting ready to fight on week 10. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Cortavius Romius, who fights Ramon Tavares at Dana White's Contender Series Week 10. That fight is on October 10th. So, Cortavius, I wanted to start here, like with anybody getting on the Contender Series. I always love to ask the question, you got that call from your manager or from your coach or whoever it was that let you know that you're going to get to fight in front of the boss, man. What, what was your reaction like when you, you finally find out? My reaction was like, it, man... It, it felt too good to be true because you know this has been a it's been a long journey. You know, I always felt like I was just always just like just overlooked. You know, in my entire career, that's just my honest opinion. I just always felt like I was just overlooked. You know, and I I got that information, man. I didn't know how to feel. I still don't know how to feel because it's like wow, I'm finna fight in front of Dana White and just everybody. You know. Live, so it's like it feels good, you know. I've been waiting for this opportunity since I decided to to step in the cage and be a fighter. So it was great hearing that, man. It definitely changed my perspective about a bunch of things in a good way. So yeah, man, it was well, great to hear that news. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great to hear. Obviously, now I know that you were preparing to be at LFA 169, right? Like you had about signed to fight, you know, four days before this winds up being. So were you, you, you were not expecting this at all. Were you thinking you were a fight or two away? Like how close did you feel like you were? Uh, honestly, uh, I'm not exactly sure because I mean, uh, I never, honestly, I, I never, I always just feel like, I had to do more. Like, if I had that fight on LFA, uh, got my hand raised, I would have been like, damn, I got to do some more work. You know, I always feel like I just got to do a little bit more, go beyond the above. But, uh, yeah, uh, I always – I knew the time was coming. I mean, just by the amount of – like, I couldn't even get a fight for it. It took me forever. I, I fought in, like, almost three different weight classes so far. So, uh just just getting people to just uh, just to accept the fight was just like man it's, I'm still having these problems. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually going to ask you about the weight thing too, right? Because like, you know, you mentioned the LFA fight, you had to do that at a 150 pound catch weight. You know, you were featherweight the time before that. Obviously, this one back to bantamweight. Is is that kind of where you you like to sit? Is is bantamweight is the preference or, you know, is, is it yeah, yeah is it kind of whatever? Yeah, uh at this point, I feel comfortable at whatever. I mean, I just truly believe in my skills, but Bantamweight is the weight class that I'm going to be fighting in the rest of my career. 
you know, uh, it was just, I was really just getting what I can, getting fights that I can take, you know, or people that accepted the fight. So I was just honored for the people who accepted the bout with me. I got nothing but respect for anybody who steps in the cage with me, you know. I, I get it. It's, it's tough for it, but, hey, can't call yourself a fighter if you don't want to fight the best. And, and out of curiosity, th- this trouble with any opponents, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you turned pro five years ago, and, and you have gotten, you know, you've gotten eight fights in. Has it been that hard since the get-go to find people who want to square off with you? Honestly, yes. You know, it's like the same, it's like the same feeling like when I got that viral knockout on Shamrock back in my amateur career and it was a spinning heel kick. Now, that really what caused me to go pro because after that, I really I couldn't, couldn't even find a fight. You know, it was like, man, I feel like I kind of cursed myself doing it <laughs> <laughs> in too, a good way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, that's a good kind of problem to have that everybody's scared of you. So, um, so I, I, you know, I said you, you were supposed to fight four days before this. Did you get a lot of notice? I mean, like, obviously the, the viewer public just found out about you being on this fight card, you know, like a week or so ago. How, how long have you known that you're going to be on this fight? Uh, I literally, like, uh, I found out really just, I, found, I think I believe I found out, found out about around the same time. Uh, I wasn't, I don't think, I, I wasn't able to say anything, you know. I was like, okay, cool, I just keep it in, you know, I was like, but then I got the word, like, oh, you can announce it, whatever, and I, and I just made the post or whatever, it was, like, it was really already known, because I had people hit me up, telling me, oh, man, congrats, and I'm like, what the hell, they, how they find out? <laughs> I'm like, dang, you can, uh, you can everything get leaked out, so I was just like, well, all right, well, so, I yeah, us media types always wind up letting everybody know way too early. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I want to get to talking about that fight, and we're going to do that in a second. But before we do, uh, I'm a guy who loves to know the story behind MMA nicknames. And the thing about your nickname is you're the only one of those guys, right? There's 37 Bulldogs. There's a whole bunch of Hitmen. There's, you know, there's a whole bunch of Pitbulls. But there's only one guy who, when they're shouting out his name, Add, are you not entertained in the middle of it? So you got to tell me, where did that come from? How did you wind up, are you not entertained, Cortavius Romeus? Man, honestly, that was... Uh, I, 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 man, I, how I feel about it, it's like, I, I still haven't, like, accepted it all the way. You know, because I'm like, man, that's, that's not good enough, man. I was like, oh, that's not good enough. But, but honestly, it was something that... uh. We came up with at my last fight uh, on LFA because at first I had a I had a little fight name, but I was just kind of just trolling. It. But I wanted to walk. I wanted. I put down the pipe layer, and they was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> <laughs> they was like, "Wait a minute!" I don't think we can say that. I was like, "Ah, come on!" <laughs> <laughs> so then they came up with the "Oh, you not entertained," and everybody was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" I be like that. I was like, "All right, fuck it, let's do it," and I. I yeah, and I guess uh people gravitated towards it, you know, and it's like now when I go on Tapology, it'd be like, Cretavis or United, I'm like, oh, crap, I guess that's my name now, so, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I will I will tell you that you can always change it, because Brian Battle now <laughs> is doing The Butcher, uh, and that's up on, on Tapology now, but I will tell you, 
what 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 inspired you to go to the pipe layer? Because I'll tell you, I don't think they're gonna go for that one in the UFC. <laughs> oh no, that was just something me and my manager uh, was just we was just we be joking around, just playing around and stuff. He was like, "Oh, dude, you should do the pipe layer." And I was like, "You know what? I, that's a good way." You know, I was just I was so bullshit with him too. So I was like, "Yeah, let's do you with it." And he just stuck with it and was. You know, we was taking the photos, and they was just going over all my information. They was like, wait a minute. Your fighter name is the Pipe Layer? <laughs> I was like, nah, man, you can't say it. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, I, I think you wound up with one that's pretty unique and pretty interesting if it does stick. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about this fight because, you know, you're not just getting a fight on Contender Series. But you're getting a fight on Contender Series in a very weird situation. You're fighting a guy who not only has already been on the Contender Series, but a guy who's been on the Contender Series just a couple weeks ago. So tell me a little bit about when you heard that. Had you seen his other fight? What did you think of it? Well, when I found out about it, I was like, dang, he had another opportunity. But then, you know, I kind of seen, like, like, how it all happened and stuff. And I was like, eh, okay, I can see why, you know, so... I, you know, I, I'm a very understanding guy, so I get it. You know, I ain't gonna sit up and be oh, they don't need it, but I get it. You know, it was, I get it. You know, it was a little, I don't know, but uh, yeah, man, I, I congrats to him to get another opportunity. But honestly, it's fuck that. Like, it's my turn to get. That's my fucking shot, and I'll be damned if he thinks he's gonna get a second opportunity. Fuck that, he's fucked. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna, I feel bad for him. And, and what do you think about the the style of fight he brings to you too? Because you know, obviously you're a guy who's well versed everywhere. We've seen the submissions, we've seen the hands out of you. But like, you know, he's he's a guy who kind of marches forward and looks a little bit for the the brawl. So what do you think about that style of fight and how it matches bring up with it, you? Uh, bring it. I hope you're ready to fight, and I'll uh, I'll be. I would I would love to see you bring that type of fight to me. I would love it. All right. No matter, well, I, what, what, no matter where the fight goes, I'm going to be dominant. Well, and that, this is that you bring me right to the perfect point because I always love to end these things with a prediction. It sounds like you're feeling confident. It sounds like you're feeling good. You feel good enough to wager a prediction. How's this one end, October 10th? How this is going to go out? Fucking destruction. Straight, just annihilation. I'm going to go out there and just be the ultimate fighter. You know, like Dana White said, you want to be a fighter, don't you? So, you know, you got to go out there and do what you got to do. And that's exactly what's going to get done. You know, I don't know the outcome. The only outcome I know is me getting my hand raised at the end. So, you know, I just hope that they are ready for a, a, a war. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Cortavius Romeo, who fights Ramon Tavares on Data White's Contender Series Week 10. That fight, once again, October 10th. Cortavius, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, X Marshall and Game Up Heart Hydration. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gabby Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.